Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today we conclude our three-part topic on the Bible, the big picture of God's Word, as we look briefly at the entirety of the New Testament. If you have not listened to parts one and two, I strongly encourage you to listen to this series in order as you will gain a much better understanding of our brief journey through the entirety of God's Word. So let's dig in and begin our time together in the New Testament, beginning in Matthew. And as we did for part two, I will give a brief overview of each of our remaining 27 books. And the overview of Matthew is quite straightforward, and that of Matthew regularly reminding everyone that the time of Jesus being on earth shouldn't be a surprise since it had been prophesied many times in the Old Testament and in quite specific details at that. And for Matthew, we also get a very vivid account of the last days of Jesus' life on earth and his subsequent resurrection three days later. It should be noted as well that Matthew, being of Jewish descent, would be able to understand and speak to his fellow Jewish peers in a much more direct manner than that of Mark and Luke on the reality of Jesus truly being the Messiah, the King, they are waiting for. Next in line, we hear from Mark and we get his account. And while it generally carries a similar theme as Matthew, Mark is very focused on pointing out that Jesus is fully God and fully man, who came to earth for one purpose, and that of giving everyone the opportunity to see God face to face. And through the many experiences we would witness of Jesus, that would provide the evidence necessary to trust in and accept Jesus for who he says he is. Furthermore, through the death of Jesus on the cross, as the ultimate sacrifice, all would have the opportunity to surrender their lives to Jesus and receive an eternal life with God in heaven in perfection. Now we get to hear from Luke and his account, and again, we have three different witnesses testifying here to the same events with three varying perspectives, but all solidly agreeing with one another and providing a rich look into the life of Jesus. From Luke's perspective, we see him focus very intently on the human interest side of things. He's very people-focused and gets very detailed on a number of situations. While both Luke and Matthew discuss the birth of Jesus, we do get a very good sense, however, that Luke was very captivated by the birth of Jesus. Moving along now to John, and while John has a great deal to say, his theme is quite singular in nature, and that of presenting to everyone he encounters the identity, the personhood of Jesus, and the importance of accepting him as being fully God and fully man. In addition, he impresses on everyone to look at the gift of eternal life that Christ has promised and a life that awaits all who trust and surrender their lives to him. And this takes us to the book of Acts, where we once again hear from Luke. And we see here more on Luke's perspective as he interacts with Peter and Paul. We also get to witness the church taking shape and growing by leaps and bounds and the spreading of God's word to the entire world. And at this same time, we hear of Jesus returning to heaven following his resurrection and the subsequent 40 days he spent on earth showing himself to be alive and following through on the promise given that death would not hold him captive. Now we come to a collection of nine letters written to seven churches, and we are introduced to the book of Romans, a letter written to the Church of Rome, the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, a letter written to the Church of Corinth, 
which is followed by the book of Galatians, a letter written to the church of Galatia. The book of Ephesians is next, which is a letter written to the church of Ephesus. And we come next to the book of Philippians, a letter written to the church of Philippi. And next, the book of Colossians, a letter written to the church of Colossae. And we now arrive at the last letters and the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, a letter written to the church of Thessalonica. And it is here, through all of these letters, we meet the ever-so-popular and world-renowned Apostle Paul. But rather than covering each of these books, these letters, individually, I will provide a summary of the entirety of the letters Paul wrote to these various churches and the central theme they corporately contain. And from each of these letters, we hear Paul very clearly encouraging the various churches for what they are doing well and how to keep their focus and not get sidetracked by the world. Paul, however, also uses these letters to admonish or warn the various churches of what they are doing that is not pleasing to God. Inasmuch, he also uses this opportunity to encourage by virtue of instructing all the good that would come their way from God when they are obedient, or, on the flip side of that, all the consequences should they choose to ignore God. And the final major component of these letters is to teach each of the churches the gospel, the good news. Paul also uses his opportunity to drive home the importance of Christ-centered worship, God-honoring relationships, and the need to be in constant fellowship with one another and in the presence of God, in all ways and in all times. And Paul also beautifully demonstrates how his own life is a mess, how he struggles, and the things that he has to work on so that he too will grow in his relationship with God. He also sends a message of great encouragement by pointing out that we all have a common suffering in this life of sin and how to persevere through it. And this takes us to more letters written by Paul and that of First and Second Timothy. And here we see Paul writing a letter to a man by the name of Timothy, who he trained to be a church leader, pastor, and a church administrator of sorts to help with his own ministry. Paul was also very likely encouraged to write this letter to his very close friend Timothy, considering Paul had recently parted ways with a prior ministry partner and friend, Barnabas. In these two letters, Paul really encourages Timothy by telling him how he views their relationship, and that of Timothy being like his own brother, and more so, even like his own son, and just how passionate he is about their friendship and working together for a common good, and that of telling everyone the good news. The two letters conclude with Paul writing his farewell to Timothy and giving further encouragement to Timothy to carry on and fight the very good fight, even after he, Paul, would die. Titus is next, and another letter from Paul in the scriptures. And here Paul writes to Titus, another very close and trusted friend, to encourage him to continue on with the work Paul had begun on the island of Crete, which was on an accelerated course of moral decline. Paul also left instruction on how Titus was to lead the church and install godly overseers and to ensure the church in Crete did not succumb to worldly pressures. And now the final letter from Paul, and this one is found in the book of Philemon. And here we see Paul writing a very different kind of letter, and this time to his friend Philemon. And here Paul tells Philemon that he met and was spending time with a man by the name of Onesimus who was a slave of Philemon's, who ran away due to a disagreement. And during their time together, Paul had shared the gospel with Onesimus, who accepted and turned his life over to Jesus. 
With that, Paul strongly suggested that, based on the turn of events, Philemon was to take Onesimus back and fully forgive him for all the wrongs that may have been done, and to accept him as a brother in Christ rather than a slave. An interesting side note, this in no way indicates that Onesimus would no longer hold the title of slave or serve as one. Rather, it was an indication of what the relationship was to be since Onesimus and Philemon were now true brothers and one in Christ. We now move to the book of Hebrews, and this book is all about the authenticity of Jesus Christ, Son of God, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. Hebrews also gives us a very clear picture of what salvation through Jesus looks like and that it is indeed a very narrow path that leads to salvation, true salvation. It is salvation on God's terms, not ours, and through that acceptance of Jesus by faith, we will receive the permanency of life with God in the kingdom of heaven upon our earthly death. Next, we arrive at the book of James, and James tells us how the believer in Christ must live their earthly lives. We hear how we are to live as Christ lived and abandon the ways of the world. We are also instructed on what not to do and that of keeping a tight rein on our speech, avoid being a hypocrite, and not playing favorites, to name a few. But James also tells us what to do, such as living holy lives to the best of our abilities, loving and taking care of people, such as widows and orphans, and to tough it out with God's help and guidance when we are faced with problems and obstacles in our lives. Now we come to another set of letters and those found in the book of First and Second Peter. And here, Peter writes these two letters to believers who are being persecuted and believing that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah, the Savior, again, fully God, fully man. Here, Peter sends these encouraging letters to give those who are being unjustly tortured and facing death for standing up for their beliefs to stand firm and not to waver for any reason and to persevere. Peter also warns us to always be aware of false prophets, those who look and sound legit, but who are indeed not at all teaching the word of truth or living it out in their own lives. Up next are still more letters, and here from the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And these are very short letters of still more encouragement to the believer. Here, John reminds us to faithfully follow Jesus He also reminds us to make sure we are loving everyone just as Christ loved us. But he also emphasizes the need for fellowship among the body of believers and to be in right standing with God so that the fellowship through worship would be sincere and honoring and done in obedience according to God's design and completely absent of our attempt at running the show. And this takes us to our second to the last book of the New Testament and the second to the last book of the Bible. And this is yet another letter, and this from the book of Jude. And here we get a very blunt, short, and sweet letter telling us to get our heads out of the clouds and pay attention to what is infiltrating the lives of the believers in church, and that of false prophets. He is calling everyone to wake up and to see these fraudulent teachers for who they are, and to call them out by name and remove them, and to not be afraid of doing so. He goes on to tell us what we are to look for and that of false teachers being self-centered and only doing what they want to do and rejecting the ultimate authority of God's will. A bit of digression here, but I think Jude is someone I would truly have loved to have hung out with. And for the simple reason, he is very direct and to the point. No fluff, no filler, just cut and dry. 
And I think this is perhaps more important today than ever, as we who call ourselves followers, believers, born again in Christ, become more tolerant of allowing the world to infiltrate and corrupt and slowly destroy the church. Lastly, we come to the ever so controversial and so often misunderstood book of Revelation. And while this could be a summary as lengthy and detailed as I provided on Genesis in part two, there is no need to because the message of Revelation is abundantly clear and concise. God reveals to John what was and is and is to come. It is a testimony of where we have been, where we are currently, and where we will be at some unknown time in the future. Like Jude's letter, what was revealed to John was very cut and dry, very direct, take it or leave it. It's all up to you, but regardless of what you think, like, don't like, want, or don't want, it's going to be exactly as it is written, and in the end, you will find out if your heart was in the right spot, what was right and what was wrong. And we also get a very powerful warning. Whatever you do, do not alter one word of the Bible, God's word, or you will receive a solid and unforgettable consequence handed to you personally from God and in the form of eternal separation from him. And this concludes our very abbreviated walk through God's word. Again, I hope that this three-part series has been encouraging and has given you a better overall understanding of God's Word that will not only serve to encourage you to look deeper into the Scriptures, but also give you a good starting point to share this gospel, this great news, to all who choose to listen. Quick summary of the whole. The Old Testament walks us through the launch of our current life on earth, the consequences of disobeying God, the incredible love and mercy and rewards when we obey God, and just how quickly we can get wrapped up in ourselves. And through it all, the Old Testament points to the need of a Savior. From there, the New Testament shows us the promised Savior, God in the form of a human, right in front of us, who would be the ultimate sacrifice and our way to eternity at the end of this earthly life should we decide to accept that indeed the man Jesus is God. Three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, and through faith, by grace, we will receive the gift of life, of eternity in heaven with God in perfection. The Old and New Testament fully complement each other, and that is the only reason you can pick up reading anywhere in God's Word and move forward and backward and through the Bible and all Scripture cohesively coexists as one message under one God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for allowing us to have this time together in your Word. Thank you for such good news, news of redemption and forgiveness, news of freedom and the promise of life everlasting with you, Lord. For this, we give you the praise, honor, and glory for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for such a time as this, offering the world joy with no limits, a life in perfection, and peace without end. We now ask that you would help us keep our focus on you. Seek what is right. Live by the light of your word. Help us to love one another, proclaim your gospel of truth, and wait patiently in anticipation of your return, all while persevering and standing firm, grounded in your excellent words and promises. And all of this we ask in the name of our Lord and our great Savior, Jesus Christ. 